Have you ever worked for hours, days, or even years to land the big one, to build a business, a healthy family, or even a church? And then right at the moment of success, someone spoils the whole thing? Let's join Dave as he begins with a fish story about his youngest son, Josh. I believe we will all identify with the kind of disappointment and anger that Josh had to face in this tale of the big one. A lot of you don't know it, but we have a, an expert fisherman in our family. And my other kids enjoy fishing, but I have one of my kids that will just fish all day long. And we were up at Word of Life. My dad lived right on a lake. There's a dock by that lake. And this son will go down there by the lake early in the morning if you let him. In fact, he had his grandfather out there for several hours. And I kept telling him that he needed to go way out on the dock, you know, walk out on the dock because the water is much deeper out in that dock and you're going to catch some big pike out there or maybe a big bass. He said, no, Daddy, there's a big bass that's right underneath this dock. And I kept telling him, oh, Joshua, you're crazy. That is not where the big fish is. You need to go out much farther. Well, all day long, Joel and Jonathan and I went skiing and tried to get my dad up on skis and everything, and Joshua was there patiently, hour after hour. We ate lunch, and he went right back out. Suddenly, I think it was about the middle of the afternoon, I hear this scream, I got him, I got him! And man, he lifts up out of the water, this bass about like this. No exaggeration, no fish story. <laughs> sure enough, there it is, this big Adirondack bass. And so I go running out, you know, from where I was skinny at the end of the dock and go up on the beach and I get this big bass and I take it off the hook. About that time, older brother came up. Jonathan came up and, he's, and he was standing about a foot of water. He said, Dad, let me see it. And so I took the fish and I gave it to Jonathan. Well, with that tremendous burst and desire for life, that big bass that probably weighed, you know, five or six pounds, squiggle out of Jonathan's hand right down into the lake. And I had it pinned up against the beach because, you know, it was right there in only about six inches of water. And I reached down and tried to grab it. Boom! It was gone. You talk about being angry. Joshua could have skinned Jonathan alive. I mean, you could feel all the emotions of anger. I mean, he was ready. If he was six foot four, Jonathan would not be with us today. <laughs> and as I watched this fury rise within Joshua, I could really identify because, I mean, I was feeling, oh, no. See, what makes us angry is that when something like that happens, there's not a thing we can do about it. I can't go out into the lake and hunt over 10 miles of lake trying to catch that crazy fish. It's probably gone forever. It just seems like irremedial damage has been done. And I want Joshua go from that flash of fury to that very deep depression as he sat there in the dock, you know, and just would fold his hands and look down. And then I saw him go through, well, maybe we can catch it again. So you start trying to do your thing again. Well, I'm not sure whether Joshua's forgiven. You'll have to ask him. I don't know whether he's been able to forgive. Have you been able to forgive Jonathan yet? No, he says no. <laughs> but you know, watching the emotion 
of anger and hurt because that was one of the most horrible, bad news things in everyday life that could happen. And those are the kind of things that we face every day. We face those things as children like Josh. We face them as school teachers. We face them in our marriages. It's those repeated everyday kind of offenses where somebody really gets our goat. They offend us. You know, you might be cleaning the church. It's your crew to clean the church. And you're up here Saturday morning and nobody shows up. So you're vacuuming this floor. And you're thinking, where are all these other idiots in the group? Don't they know we need to do this together? Why are they so undisciplined? Why don't they show up? And I'm going to clean this church, but I could tear those people apart. That wells up inside of us. I've shared with you in the past about cleaning the garage and how you can be cleaning the garage and you can be furious while you're doing it. I remember when Mary hurt her foot and so she couldn't do the vacuuming and all that kind of stuff. And I remember, I used to always wonder why Mary was ready to skin us alive. You know, all we did was walk in and throw our dirty clothes around and get a little dirt on the floor and she would be ready to skin us alive. But when Mary hurt her foot, I realized why housewives are ready to skin their family alive because you just spent about three hours and you've got the nap on the rug up just right because the vacuum cleaners whipped it all up and you look around at it, everything looks good, the crumbs are off the table, and these idiots come in and they just destroy your work. I mean, you've got to start all over again. It never stops. They're always throwing stuff around. They're always bringing dirt in. You never stop vacuuming. And we're angry. Really angry. Well, that's what Jesus wants to talk to us about. We've been coming through our Father who art in heaven. May your name be a set apart. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've been talking about these heavenly realities of focusing up there on the heavenlies. We got down here and talked about give us this day our, our material needs, the need to learn how to trust God in those material areas. Well, this is just as important. When the Lord Jesus teaches us to pray, look at it in Matthew chapter 6. It says in verse 12, Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Then in verse 14, he comes back to verse 12. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I want you to look back at chapter 5. In verse 43 it says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor. In other words, love those that are your friends. Love those that are close to you. But hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Why? That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Sons act like their father because the father causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be mature, be perfect, be complete, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. The first thing is we talk about this need for forgiveness in all of our lives 
is that we've got to face the horizontal and vertical connection. We mentioned a couple things here that are absolutely strategic, and I want you to think very carefully about them. I want you to ask yourself, our forgiveness reveals our acceptance of God's forgiveness. In other words, as we think today about our relationships with others, and at this time, I'd like all of you, as we're talking about, as we forgive those who trespass against us, I want you to be thinking, what are some hurts? What about some offenses that are hard for us to let go? And don't run away from that. I'm not going to come down on you. I'm not going to wipe you out because that's only going to make it worse. In other words, no one can force you to forgive. Nobody can force us to have that letting go deep within our heart where we restore a relationship, where we cancel a debt. But we want to understand some things that Jesus really wants to talk to us about in this area that's absolutely important. The first thing Jesus says is something that I have a hard time with. What Jesus tells me is that the way that I relate to you the way that I relate to my kids, the way I relate to Mary, the way I relate to you all as a group, the way I relate to all people is connected vertically with the way God relates to me. What Jesus is telling us is that if I say, Lord Jesus, I want you to forgive me my debt. I want you to forgive the fact that I offended you. I want you to forgive me for the fact that I haven't been devoted to you the way that I should. The Father says to me, Dave, what about your relationship to others? What about the way that you're letting go of other people's debts? And before we turn to Matthew 18, which is a tremendous story that illustrates this vertical horizontal connection very graphically, I think we need to think carefully about this idea of a debt. Because that's the way we're going to understand forgiveness. A lot of people say, I forgive you. And I find myself doing this. I forgive you. I'll forgive you for the fact that I counted on you. That I depended upon you. That you made a promise to me. And I depended upon you to keep the promise. But when the heat was put on, you didn't come through. You disappeared. Now that bothers me more than just about anything else that people do to me. I don't mind if someone says, I'm not going to do it. And so I know they're not going to do it. Don't depend upon them. But when someone says, David, you can count on me, then they don't come through. That hurts me. And what I find myself saying is this. I forgive you, but I'll never, never trust you again. And I also find that as time goes by, that it will keep coming up in my mind. I can't depend upon that person. That person is undependable. That's not forgiveness. Every single month, I have to go to First National and I have to put some money to cover a debt. It's a very serious ceremony. I go in, say, I need to pay on my house. They go back in this little room. I don't know what they do. Oh, yes, they do. They get my envelope. Anybody have this experience? They get this little envelope out. It's got all these figures on it. And I pay so much in. If I do it early enough in the month, I get a whole lot more than the principal if I do it later. And then they cross out what I used to owe and they write down a new thing that I owe. Now, you know what forgiveness is? Forgiveness is 
that one of these months I go in there and I say I need to pay in my house and they go go back and get my account and they come out put it down there and say it's all taken care of what it's all taken care of yeah you don't have to write your check it's all paid for in full now what forgiveness is the next month I don't have to go back in there and go through the same routine again or I don't keep getting notes from the bank saying you owe us you owe us you owe us you're gonna pay you need to keep paying and I want you to think very carefully about that because forgiveness thinking of this money money metaphor gets at the heart and soul of what it is it means that we stop making someone pay and that's hard that's really really hard I can tell you that I'm gonna do that but I don't and it keeps coming back because this whole thing of sin when somebody sins against me the heartbeat of it is someone's gotta pay Jonathan ought to pay for the stupidity of letting that bass jump back into the lake he ought to hurt for that and I remember Josh even went over him I think he was gonna pound him a little bit because that's what's in our soul somebody ought to pay when Mary's brother was killed by a drunk driver and Frank jumped out of the car and he walked up to the guy that killed his brother and he smelt that alcohol on his breath the thought that's welling up inside of Frank is I could kill you why somebody ought to pay that kid ought to pay and it was only the grace of God Frank told me it was just like the arms of God wrapped around him because it wasn't that big a kid and Frank's pretty hefty and man when that waft of, of alcohol hit him and he had just looked at his brother and he knew he was gone he could have just killed him we all know what that feels like somebody ought to pay now how do we let go of that how do we let go of it without destroying the whole reality of what sin is that somebody really ought to pay how do we how do we enable our soul very deep not just speaking words but how do we begin to move towards restored relationship and the answer is that we need to focus on our own debt to the father we need to focus on what God has done for us and I think that's where the trouble really is in a lot of our lives because we don't genuinely understand the way the father relates to us and how he forgives us turn to Matthew chapter 18 it's a very famous passage it's the passage that talks about the lost sheep and the excitement of heaven in verses 10 through 14 the excitement in heaven that comes when the lost sheep is found it's about the brother that sins against us verse 15 talks about what we do when a brother sins against us if somebody offends you if they sin against you if they owe a debt of sin to you and your relationship is broken you're to go to them and with a spirit of restoration you're to you're to try to renew that relationship and it talks about the fact that if they won't respond to you then you're supposed to get another believer that has the same spirit none of condemnation but of restoration to try to go again and bring this errant brother errant sister back to Christ it's all that section about restoring 
people that have fallen into sin, fallen into offense. Many times the sins are against us. But a lot of times we don't get this chapter all together. We don't think about a heaven that rejoices over lost sheep. We don't think about a father that wants us to take the initiative in getting wronged relationship right. And when Peter asks in verse 21, Peter says this, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Now that's a good question. And Peter has a good answer. Up to seven times. In other words, somebody says, I promise I will come through for you. And the first time they don't come through for you. So you say, okay, I'll give you another chance. I'll forgive you. So you give them a second chance. They still don't come through for you. They still blow it. They still sin against you. So the third time you say, okay, I'll forgive you one more time. But the fourth time, three strikes and you are out, right? Now Peter goes well beyond that. Peter goes well beyond that and says, listen, Lord, I'll forgive people seven times. In other words, if somebody offends me, if somebody elbows me in a basketball game seven times, I will let them get away with it. Seven times. Now that's incredible. When we had soccer camp, we were watching Pelé, the world-class, the all-time great soccer player. And Pelé wasn't that big. He gave all of us that are little hope. But Pelé was so skilled, he was so tremendously gifted, that Pelé, the only way to stop him was to hurt him. And so in the clip that they showed in the middle of the Portuguese, you could still pick it up, the opposition started just laying Pelé out. They would elbow him. He would make a move to go around him. They'd just trip him. Every time the referee turned around, they would hit him right in the head. They'd be go running by him, and one of, the, one of the players would just put his elbow out, just nail him right in the head. And they went through several brutal scenes of Pelé just getting wiped out. Well, Pelé wasn't that forgiving. And then they went through a whole series of clips where Pelé got even. <laughs> now, I would think a great deal of a ball player that let himself under the basket get elbowed seven times. Seven times. That's a lot of times. Wham, wham, wham. Seven times. So Peter really is, is he's incredible. He says, Lord, I'll let myself be elbowed seven times, but the eighth time, I'm going to get him. And look at the story Jesus tells. Look what Jesus says. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but Peter, 70 times seven. In other words, if you're counting, you're not forgiving. Then he told them a story. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle the accounts with his servants. And as he began to settle the accounts, there was a man who owed him a trillion dollars. That's the idea. Multi-trillion, you know, multi-million dollars. This guy owes the king multi-trillion dollars. You know what that is? It's bigger than the United States debt. And you know what? I'm not going to be able to pay. That's the idea. That's the figure of speech the Lord uses. There is no way if this guy gives the king every dime he has from now until eternity, he's not going to pay. What do you do when you got a debt like that? 
Well, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. This is back in the bad old days when if you were in debt, you went to debtor's prison. If you've ever read any of Charles Dickens' novels, you'll understand what Jesus is talking about. Remember the little kids? Their father gets thrown into jail and they go out as street orphans because the London jails are filled with all these debtors. Well, that's the way it used to be. In the ancient world, it was like that. If you went into debt with Sears, Sears could throw you into jail. Aren't you glad they've changed the rules a little bit? This guy owed multi-trillion dollars. Now, what do you do? Your kids are going to be thrown in jail? You've got to get the horror of the scene. I can see the guy come in before the king. He's got his wife there in her rags. She's bawling her eyes out. The little kids come in, and they're all sweet there, and they're bawling their eyes out. Oh, please don't send us to prison. Oh, please don't send us to prison. Well, the king has a compassionate heart. So look what happens. It says, the servant, verse 26, fell on his knees before the king, before him. Oh, be patient with me, he begged. I'll pay back everything. Baloney. There's no way he can pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Now that's where every single one of us stand before God. We've got to understand that. I think one of the greatest problems that we have is focusing on how great salvation we really, really have. Every one of you that have received Christ as your Savior have come before a great king that we owe an unpayable debt to that great king. And that great king deserves, he can justly cast us out into outer darkness. There is evil inside of me that only hell can take care of. You see, you understand what it is for Hitler to have to go to hell. He really needs to pay for his sin in hell. What we don't understand is that the Hitler is inside of us. The seeds of that evil is part of our being. And we've come before a great king. And when we with repentant hearts say, Oh Lord, please cancel the debt against us. Please, please help us. There is a loving Father in heaven who's always, always touched by that plea. Now, that's the only way you can have relationship with God. The only way that any of us can have relationship with the Father is by coming to Him with that plea, Father, I can't pay my debt of sin. It's unpayable. There's no hope for me except for Your mercy. And you've got to let that merciful flow, that merciful love of God flow upon us. The servant was totally forgiven. The father let it go. And it said in verse 28, but when that servant went out, he found out one of his fellow servants owed him just a couple bucks. A hundred denarii is just a few bucks. Fifteen dollars, I think, depending upon inflation. The servant grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Can't you see this scene? I mean, he's grabbing his fellow servant, choking to death, pay me the few dollars. And his fellow servant fell on his knees, just like the servant had just done before the king. The servant fell on his knees and begged him, Oh, please be patient with me. I will pay you back. 
But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Now, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that, that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant. I canceled all that unpayable debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. What is God saying? God is saying this. It's not that our forgiveness of others causes the Father to be able to forgive us. We don't work for forgiveness in any way. But what Jesus is causing us to see is that our entering in to the forgiveness of the Father, our understanding, our heart comprehension of what it means to be forgiven by the Father is evidenced by our ability to be able to forgive others. I want all of us to ask ourselves, are you a person of grace or are you a person of of justice. It's hard to live with a person of justice. It's hard to live without mercy. Mary showed me an article, Reader's Digest. It was talking about anger will kill your heart. It was talking about a man who was right on the edge. In fact, it was the key to his business success. I mean, he was able to go right to the top in business, on and on because he intimidated people and he was always angry and he always demanded perfection. One day, he was just riding in his car, I believe it was, and somebody cut him off and man, this anger just, oh, I could, what's that stupid idiot? You know what that's like to live like that? And man, a pain hit his chest and they took him to the hospital. Couldn't find anything. Could not find a thing. Did the treadmill, everything. Arteriogram. But then, he got angry at one of the nurses or something, something happened in the hospital, he got angry, and he got that sharp pain again, and they took him right in for the test while he was angry. And they found out that his cholesterol levels just shot sky high at that time of anger. That anger will kill us. That constant stress. And what it comes from is this constant demand for justice, and deep in the soul of someone who's demanding justice, there's no comprehension. There's not that rest of God is merciful. God has been merciful toward me. You see, if you've experienced the canceling of a multi-trillion dollar debt, it puts all of the debts that are, that are due to us into a different perspective. It enables us to let go of the hurts that people do to us. We've got to face the vertical and horizontal connection. You say, Dave, what does that mean? What it means today is you have got to think about your life. Think about what's triggering anger. And if you're living, a lot of times anger is, is an unseated thing. It doesn't seem to be localized. It just seems to spill out. But as you go back through your life, you'll find out grievances, 
sometimes even little grievances, sometimes gigantic grievances that are just lying there, unpaid debts that you won't let go. It's a very powerful thing in a church family. Very powerful thing among God's people. Harboring unpaid debts. They hurt me. They were supposed to be God's children. They were supposed to be the ones that encouraged me in the faith. They were supposed to be the ones that taught me the Word of God, that prayed for me, that would be good friends, and they turned out to act just the opposite. And you're hurt. And it harbors in your soul. And what it, what it does, what Jesus is telling us, is that harboring in our soul unpaid debts, keeping a record of all of those things, all that stuff that people owe us. Jesus is telling us that it blocks the intimacy day by day that we can have with the Father. Now in chapter 7, Jesus turns to the subject again. Remember I told you that the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is kind of like Jesus' extensive discussion of what we're praying for in the, in, the, in the Lord's Prayer. And in chapter 7, he talks about the need for us to face a critical spirit and to ask the Lord to give us a restoring spirit. Do not judge, chapter uh, 7, verse 1. Don't judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now everyone that knows anything all about the Bible, knows, judge not that you be not judged. And what they usually say is, Dave, don't tell me it's wrong to steal. Don't tell me it's wrong to cuss. You're not supposed to judge. Don't tell me it's wrong to be immoral. We need to be kind to one another. We shouldn't judge one another. That's not at all what this text is about. Paul tells us we're going to judge angels. It says that among a church family, we need to judge one another in the sense that we hold one another to account. Jesus tells us that we need to have discernment. We need to have critical judgment of what is good doctrine and what is false doctrine. Jesus isn't saying that we should never exercise discernment, that we should never call one another to account. And the text also talks about the need for discipline. So that's not what Jesus means when he says, judge not that you be not judged. He's not telling parents not to exercise discipline. He's not telling school teachers not to do it or policemen. What he's saying is this, don't harbor a critical spirit. Don't have a way of life where your way of life is constantly making judgments about others. Don't be critical because it'll destroy you. And what produces a critical spirit is a failure to understand the Father's grace. You see, what it causes us to do is to go through life and we never really feel accepted, we never really feel loved, so we've constantly got to try to get even because we never really feel right with ourselves. We never have that tremendous joy of, I'm forgiven, it's washed away, tremendous debt has rolled off my back. So I'm free to forgive others. 
It's very hard for us to believe that. Very hard. Probably impossible unless the Holy Spirit works in our life. And what it causes us, many of us, to deepen our soul. And it can permeate our marriages. It can permeate our home life. It can permeate our church family. We have a deep-seated, critical spirit. To use pastors as an illustration, to be honest with you, a lot of pastors that I work with that have been in it for a long time are angry people. You know why they're angry? Because God's people have hurt them. Because things are said. Maybe they just came off a week where they were up late at the hospital all night for a couple nights and they counseled to real late at night and they went into a board meeting and one of the board members says, we just don't have enough money to pay you and so we're just going to have to hold your salary for a couple weeks. But I've talked to pastors, that's really happened. They get angry. They get really, really angry because they're looking for justice in the ministry. They're looking for fairness in the ministry. They're looking for things to be even in the ministry. And that's a terrible way to live because it isn't. It isn't. Life isn't fair. Life right now isn't just. And so if you're looking for that, you're going to be critical. And so what happens is that your whole ministry can become a ministry of criticism. I've even heard pastors say, if you're not, don't do me right. I'll get you. Because the whole nature of being a pastor and a counselor is people share a lot of confidences with you. I've heard some pastors tell the congregation, I'm going to get you. I'll tell people what's going on in your lives. That's horrible. Oh, it hurts the family of God. Why do we do that? Why do guys do that at times? Because they're angry. They're critical. They don't realize that all of life is rejoicing in this unbelievable gift of forgiveness. Dave Wurtson has been forgiven. And any evil that I might see in you is inside of me. I've got the seeds of that. And just like you need forgiveness, I need forgiveness. And we're all before a Father who's canceling unpayable debts through the blood of Calvary. So I don't need to have a critical spirit towards you. Instead, life can become like the coach who always believes there's potential in the players he's coaching. You know, there's a total difference between a coach that has a critical spirit and watch this in Little League sports because many dads really have a critical spirit towards their kids in athletics. You'll see a dad that just wipes out his son I grieve over that. The reason I grieve over that is because it's inside of me. You know, why don't you move right? Why don't you do it like that? Why don't you learn? Man, the kid just makes a terrible mistake and you'll see a father take his son over. What's the matter with you? Man, you're such a klutz. Critical, judgmental, unforgiving. You know what the father's thinking? He's saying, well, I used to be a great athlete. I never did any of that. Ha! It starts to permeate our soul, judging people instead of believing in people. And I believe it just changes the total attitude of a group. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying that all of us have a plank in our eye. In fact, you know what I find? I find that the thing that I'm the most critical about, Mary about, or my kids, or you, or anyone else, if I'm really honest about it, the things I get the most fire about, if I'll be honest, 
are things that are part of me as well. Haven't you found that? Yeah. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, you've got to face the truth. He's not telling you to keep all your anger in. It's the worst thing you can do. You'll just pour it out like stored up acid. Jesus is telling you, you need to get all the anger out. You've got to let it all out. You've got to let it out to Him. Sometimes you have to let it out to a, an older believer or, or a mature counselor that can be of help to you, that can show you how to deposit that bitter acid of a critical spirit, how to deposit it in the cross of Calvary, how to learn to respond to the Father's love. Jesus tells us we need to learn to look at the planks in our eye. If you don't think Jesus had a sense of humor, this is a very funny cartoon of a guy that has a big board in his eye and he's sitting there with tweezers, you know, trying to get a little tiny speck of sawdust out of somebody else's eye. It's, it's a very graphic cartoon. Remember that this week when you're biting on somebody. Paul says if we bite and devour one another, we're going to destroy one another. Instead, we need to learn how to live compassionately with one another. Don't have the critical spirit. Why? Because God's going to treat you the way you treat others. The attitude that I have towards others reveals my understanding and my entering into the plan of God. And God says, Dave, if you want to deal with justice, if you want to deal according to law, if you want to hold everybody to account and not forgive them, then that's the way I'll treat you. That's a hard one, but that's what God says. He says with the measure that you measure out, that's the way God will measure to you. Remember that. The way you treat others is the way God says, I'm going to treat you. And what he's trying to get us to do is to learn that that's not at all the lifestyle that the Father wants us to have. Jesus goes on in chapter 7 and verse 6 to say, Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under your feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. The person who has a committed critical spirit will not let it go. If you're really committed to a critical spirit, you won't buy what I'm saying. You won't even be able to comprehend it. You won't even be able to understand it. But there's another person that's here today, and I trust this is all of us. It says that if we ask, it will be given to us. If we seek, we will find. If we knock, the door is going to be opened up to us. This relates to forgiveness as well. Forgiveness is not something you can conjure up. It's something you need to receive. Forgiveness is not something that you work for. It's something that the Father gives you as a gift as you listen to His loving voice. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks will find. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. And I think that relates to forgiveness as well as just our material needs. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do for you. For this sums up the law and the prophet. You've often read those verses, but you haven't put them in the context of forgiveness. You see, Jesus is exposing his teaching about how we can receive forgiveness. I believe that there's some of you, you can't even hear what I'm saying. Because when I mention the word God, you hear the word Father. When you hear the word Father, you think of a critical spirit. 
And when I tell you that God forgives you, you don't comprehend it at all. Because from the time that you were a little kid, you didn't have that kind of a father. So when I say to you, which one of you would have a dad? That you would say, Dad, please give me a fish. Some of you had fathers that would give you a stone. Or a serpent. Some of you didn't have dads at all. They just weren't there. They were absent. They were always working. Because a whole lot of you were raised with fathers that came through the Depression. And one thing I noticed about fathers that came through the Depression is they decided my family will not go hungry for food. But they forgot that life is much more than food. It's relationship. So their kids are starving for daddy though they're not starving physically. I want you to ask yourself this. Do you think of your heavenly daddy as hard on you? If I ask you, picture your heavenly daddy, what's his face look like? What kind of a pose does he take towards you? Very important to get that clearly in mind. And if he's hard, if he's critical, you need to understand that. And what you need to start to do, as I mentioned here, is he hard on you? Is he difficult to please? Or is he just the opposite? Is he warm? Is your daddy warm? Is your daddy in heaven warm and accepting and thrilled to see you and thrilled that you're his son or that he's your father? Then ask yourself this. Are your feelings towards God the same as your feelings towards your earthly father? One of the things that some of us need to do is to separate the heavenly father from our earthly father. You see, they're not the same. Though in our emotional life, they're very much the same. And as you grow in the Lord, you need to learn to separate the true heavenly father and what he's genuinely like from what your earthly father might have been. Now, if your earthly father was very Christ-like and very loving, then your comprehension of God is much easier. It's much easier for you to accept forgiveness and grace and mercy. But if your father was absent, or if he wasn't there, or if he was hard on you, then emotionally it becomes very, very difficult. Is your earthly father a good reflection of the heavenly father? Concentrate on God's forgiveness of your sin in Christ. Say, Dave, what can I do? if I don't really have that warm feeling of that God accepts me, I would challenge you to meditate again and again and again. Read the Gospel accounts of Christ's death for you. Read it until you break down. And you might start out reading it and it might not do a thing to you. In other words, you might read that account and it might not just get you at all. But you get down with the Word of God and you say, Father, I need your loving grace to touch my heart. And you need to read those accounts and pray about those accounts and let those accounts break down your soul and open your heart to love. You cannot conjure up love inside of you. You can't. It's not in us. The only way you can get love, which is what we're talking about, because forgiveness is the essence of Christ-like love. The only way we can forgive one another the way Christ forgives us is to learn to listen to the voice of Christ telling us about Christ's forgiveness. Then I want you to do this. Ask God to reveal any broken relationships with others that you have failed to forgive. 
It grieves me. I think that there are some of you that are estranged. You haven't forgiven each other. There was a time when you were very close. But now you've wandered away from one another. And some of you saying, oh, it's just time. Some of it is. But some of it's hurt. And we don't need to be afraid about that. The Lord says, don't run away from that. Let's face it. You say, well, man, it wasn't anything I did. It wasn't my fault. It's their fault. They just don't understand. We need each other. We're the flock. We can't afford to be out of sync with any of the people of God. We're going to live together forever and ever. And I would challenge you to go because the Lord Jesus has put someone on your heart. Lord, I'm estranged. And I would challenge you for go and forgive them. Go and forgive them. Why hang on to it? Jesus paid all of our debt. There's not anybody that's unforgivable. Because we all desperately need a multi-trillion dollar debt paid and it's been paid. Rejoice in that forgiveness and let that love flow out and forgive others. Ask the Lord for strength to let go of your grievances by letting Christ's payment be sufficient. And please determine to take the initiative in restoration. You might wait from now until kingdom come. I was very, very close to my roommate my first couple of years in college. And we did a lot of things together and we lived together obviously for a couple of years. And when I got married, it really, really hurt him because my whole life changed at that point. In other words, you know, college life, you know, there in, the, in, the, in, a, in a room, in an apartment where the guy suddenly changed. And I had a lot of serious work to do in a totally different kind of relationship. I don't think one of my roommates really understood that because he didn't get married till years later. We went away from one another. He was the best man in my wedding. We went away. He went as a missionary to Japan, and the Lord led us down to seminary. One day, my friend called me up and said, Dave, I want you to forgive me. He said, I want you to forgive me. I really, I really felt it strange. And I don't, he never really expressed all that was involved in that. And sometimes there's not a need to. Sometimes there is. Sometimes it's not wise to tell everything. But I really think that what was really involved was this break that took place in our relationship when my life and his life were radically changed. But that telephone call restored that relationship. We haven't been together, the Lord, in our time. We haven't crossed paths. Maybe we will during the coming year. But that one telephone call made us close again. So that when he was down at Dallas doing some recruiting last year, he could call me up and say, Dave, I'm with you. I'm praying for you. What's happening? We were close again. Doesn't take a lot of time to make those calls. Some of you need to call your dads. You really do, because you're estranged from your dad or your mom. The worst grief there is is to let dad die without telling him, Dad, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And to forgive your dad. Some of you have some things you need to forgive your dad for. Some of them did some things that really hurt you. 
You need to forgive them based upon what Christ did. Not say they were right. If they legitimately sinned against you, it's wrong. And only the death of Christ on Calvary can cleanse it. But don't let it keep being something that wipes you out in your life. Call them. Go and see them. Forgive them. Because Christ has forgiven us. 